I wish I could put my fist through this whole lousy beautiful town. Hello, and welcome to Lousy Beautiful Town, where we like to sometimes scream about Star Wars and put our fists through things, particularly this white supremacist hellscape. I am your host, Abby, and I am joined by your other lovely host, Jess. Episode racism number something. (laughs) It's like, Jess, where are you? (laughs) It's just me, just the Abby show. Um. Yeah, so the this episode would mark three episodes since we haven't talked about Star Wars. Um, we were about Star Wars last time with the news. There was some related publishing nonsense. Oh yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Um, no, we were just talking before we started recording that I just don't fucking care about Star Wars right now. Um, God damn it! We, made, we decided to make a Star Wars podcast at like the worst possible time when. Not only is there like no new content coming out anyway, like uh-huh. nothing was planned anyway. Like now there's a fucking pandemic. <laughs> now there's really nothing coming out. All right. For a while. <laughs> so it's like, hmm, now what can we do? <laughs> should have started before the last Jedi came out. We oh, didn't God. know each other then, but we should. <laughs> we did. I mean, we like vaguely knew each other okay. then. I see what you're but saying. We weren't like besties. We we're like friends. <laughs> yeah, friends with a. F R E N Z. Not where I thought you were going with that, but okay. So, <laughs> um, there is a, a little snippets of of news that we thought we'd talk about just briefly. Uh, Shadowfall, an Alphabet Squadron story, is out. Yay! Um, I don't have it yet because reading is hard. <laughs> Like I said on the last episode, I have finished one book this year, and we are already into month seven. Um, I empathize. I can't relate. <laughs> I fucking wish I had like yeah. Okay, but like if if we were counting fanfic, okay, holy yeah. shit, I would have met my goal miles ago. Like that's yeah. all I've been doing is reading fanfic. Yeah, so. that's fair. Yes. Um, if you have any Zuko and Sokka fanfic, you want to send me. Like, you know how to hit me up. Anyway, so that's exciting. We'll read that eventually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we will, because we liked Alphabet Squadron. Yes, we really did. Um, we did. Um, we got some Mando news. There's going to be um, a buttload of different Mando books coming out. We have The Art of Mandalorian Season 1, The Mandalorian Original Novel by Adam Christopher, uh, the Mandalorian, the ultimate visual guide, Mandalorian allies and enemies, level two reader, um, the Mandalorian eight by eight storybook title to be revealed later, and the Mandalorian junior novelization. So, huh. yeah, I'm I'm excited about the um, the adult novel. I think that'll be interesting. Did you say there was um, a visual guide or a viz dick? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the ultimate visual guide, but it that's a viz dick. Yeah. That's a viz dick. How is that different? By Pablo Hidalgo. Is Pablo not writing it so they can't call it a viz dick? No, Pablo that? is writing it. Oh, okay. Then what the fuck? Yeah, it's a viz dick. <laughs> He's rebranding his, his content. <laughs> <laughs> he heard that Rogue Pattern wouldn't shut the fuck up and kept calling it a viz dick. It's like, never mind, it's a visual guide. <laughs> Bye, guy. <laughs> Bye, guy. <laughs> oh, let's ruin everything in Star Wars. <laughs> um, 
Oh, and there's going to be Mando-inspired comics coming from Marvel and IDW Publishing. Uh, and then the only thing that I really care... Well, no, I care about those things. But the thing I'm most excited for is our friend Amy Reckliff is writing another Star Wars book. And it's going to be a Star Wars mindfulness book. Cute. And Yoda's on the cover. <laughs> I know, I fucking hate it. <laughs> I was like... <gasps> and then I saw Yoda and I was like... Mm. <laughs> Amy, no. <laughs> um, but I'm so excited for this. I love Amy dearly. I love mindfulness. I sort of like Star Wars right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm really stoked for this coming out. I think it comes out in like no- uh, early November. Um, and I'm really stoked to have this as an addition to my books in my office at work. Yeah, it's going to be good for good for your your kids yeah i make up star wars mindfulness meditations for my (laughs) ones that like star wars so it's gonna be kind of nice to not have to make stuff up anymore (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i can make a whole therapy star wars curriculum so i guess i still kind of like star wars yeah there's (laughs) a lot of good mindfulness therapy oh yeah from star wars they don't have fucking therapy in star wars but except for like what Alphabet Squadron, right? They had. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, they the therapy. <laughs> Is it that book or did we read something oh, else? Oh, and um, aftermath. No, that's not therapy. <laughs> that's no <laughs> emotional support. You Those are just friends. <laughs> that's not <laughs> therapy. That's emotionally Damn burdening it. your friends with your drama. <laughs> the fucking Chuck Wendig. <laughs> of course, he burdens people with his quote unquote trauma. <laughs> Um, this is an anti-Chuck Wendig podcast. Yeah, we're both. Are you blocked by him? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think we talked about this last episode. <laughs> oh, well. Oops. Here we are again. Um, okay. I think that's it for news. So right, That's the end. <laughs> woo, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Racism is bad. Goodbye. No. J-K-L-O-L. Um... So in this episode of Lousy Beautiful Town punches through racism, I guess, <laughs> puts their fists through racism, uh, we are going to be talking about anti-blackness and healthcare. So the first week was, uh, or the first week, the first episode was kind of like about the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole and everything that had been going on. We recorded it not too terribly long um, after George Floyd's death. And the subsequent protests that are still going on, despite what the media says. Um, so violent police are still fucking with protesters. Yep. <laughs> Some lady yep, yep, yep. died in Seattle because a cop ran over her. Great. Yeah. Fuck the police. Um, and then last week we talked about uh, how social workers shouldn't <laughs> necessarily be the ones uh, being turned into basically cops because there is racism in the mental health field as well. And so that was kind of my area of expertise. And this is Jess's because she works in healthcare. I've worked in many facets of healthcare. Yeah. So, so I know the corruption of the business side. I know the, the patient side, the clinical side, the research side. It's all great. Yep. She has five pages of notes. Yeah. So- this is definitely going to be a, you part <laughs> yeah so <laughs> god damn it jess stop fucking interrupting me <laughs> oh it's been a while since i've had wine um <laughs> <laughs> i'm having a negroni and i didn't eat a lot i'm realizing 
Oh no. Eat your snack box. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this will probably be a two parter. So, Jess. Where do we start? God. I don't know <laughs> because it's everything. Like yep. healthcare is a part of the system. It includes housing, mental health, employment, and criminal justice. Like, it's all tied together. So I didn't Mm -hmm. really know where to start with this. So I'm just going to start with the history of racism and medical racism. Um, Also, because we're American here, not all of our listeners are from the U.S., but we are. Yeah, and many of you (laughs) that listen are from here. Um, Here... Healthcare is a poor, uh, poor for-profit industry. It's also a poor experiment, um, mm-hmm. and it's it, we tie it to our socioeconomic status because a lot of us get our employment through our jobs, through our employers, or it depends on our income level, um, whether we are qualify for you know Medicaid or like mm-hmm. um, subsidized Obamacare, essentially. So. So basically, whether or not we have healthcare is based off of whether someone wants to pay it for us or if we can afford to pay for it, which is not great. Yep. It should just be paid for by the government if they want people to survive and live and thrive. Anyway, it's not great. Um, and mm-hmm. guess who is more likely to have a lower socioeconomic status or just work a job that does not provide healthcare to them? Yeah, that's mm. a lot of people. Yep. <laughs> Latinos too. Uh, and brown Asians. So, but we're focusing on black people here. We do a whole other episode on on Latinos because there's a a little different element there. There's a lot of undocumented workers and like seasonal workers and things like that that also come into play with healthcare. And California is an interesting place to kind of weed through all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah. Anyway, um, I think there have been like threads going around about some of these events in medical history. Um, so if you're familiar with them, great. If not, you know, this is a jumping off point for you to go learn more because <laughs> these are horrible things in our history that we need to know about, we need to discuss, and we need to make sure it never happens again, which in some cases it's been better. The The scientific community has tried to be better about not having some of this stuff happen, but it's a system. So it's, ingrained in us and it's built to be like this so um mm-hmm. so think about slavery <laughs> it was here before this country was developed um it was here before what we know as modern medicine as like modern western medicine with differential diagnoses and scientifically proven treatments and all that stuff and statistics and all that, you know, this is about, this is the time where they're still talking about the humors as mm-hmm. <laughs> bleeding people and, um, you know, bloodletting yeah. was a huge thing. So yeah. it was, you know, you know, pe- warming people up to, you know, burn the fire out or the, the fevers out of them, all that kind of stuff. Weird, like, I don't, I can't forget what that, the name of that type of medicine is, but it's humoral medicine or something like that, whatever. Anyway. We're in that time period. But um, towards the end of the 19th century and the early 20th century, um, Europe started really pushing forward on like medical and scientific research. And they were just, 
you know, they were discovering all different types. They were doing different types of science and different types of research that um, that came, that came with better outcomes for the patients, and it was more consistent. Um, and they started using like the scientific method and integrating medicine and science because, be believe it or not, before that, science and medicine were not integrated. <laughs> they were considered two <laughs> completely separate things, which is crazy to think about today, but it was a thing. Um, but um, unfortunately, I think Johns Hopkins University was one of the first universities and med schools in the U.S. that actually had a extensive scientific education for their MDs. All the other med, med schools in the U.S. were like, here's three weeks of courses. Now go out and be a doctor. Good luck. <laughs> like um, it, that I'm exaggerating, obviously, but it was pretty much <laughs> that. It was like maybe a year, you know, of learning how to bleed people and random shit like that, you know, herbal medicine, things like that. So not great. And of course, because of the nature of how information travels, especially during this time and, and wealth distribution and things like that, rural, the rural South um, lacked doctors that were trained in the scientific method. So a lot of these weird myths around, around, um, like treating patients pers persisted in those areas, especially. Um, and this is, you know, a lot of medical journals have, you know, have started by now. This is like still, we're still in slavery, <laughs> but medical journals have been going on in Europe. And um, there, a lot of doctors and scientists in the U.S. have been, you know, tracking them and they, they, um, they, abide by what is published. Um, it, you know, the, the scientific community becomes a community at this point. And there were many journal articles in like the Lancet <laughs> and like journals like that famous journals that scientists and kind of doctors wrote about how there are racial differences, medical difference between black patients and white patients. So some of these differences that are not true, um, black people have thicker skin, they have reduced lung capacity that can be strengthened through hard labor. <gasps> That's a fucking yikes for me, yeah. dog. <laughs> they have larger genitalia, yet smaller brains, so they're not smart mm. enough to know how to reproduce and who to reproduce with, and so they need someone to guide them. And also, they're just animalistic, and they're just you know led by you know by their 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 drives or everything. They need to be reined in. Mm. And then they also have a higher tolerance for heat and pain if they feel pain at all, and they have immunity to certain diseases, so they'll be fine. Oh. They can just go out in the field if there's a smallpox outbreak; it's fine. They're immune. So yeah, obviously not great. Um, and this supported the view, like not only the smaller brain theory, the lung capacity, thicker skin, all of these things, you know, tolerance for heat and pain. You can be outside all the time. You can be, you know, susceptible to all these diseases and it's fine. Like you'll be fine. This supported the view that black people were only suited for outside labor and they weren't suited for anything else. So this is where mm -hmm. they were supposed to be because genetics, because science, you know. So this is how science is dangerous sometimes when it's mm -hmm. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it informs opinions and uh, treatments <laughs> like this. So, and you would think after slavery, no, you wouldn't, because we're mm. fucking where we are now. Like, <laughs> uh, medicine is still extremely racist, and I'll get to some of those points probably next episode because there's a lot of data, unfortunately. But um, 
some of the things that you might be familiar with. Uh, I'll start with James Marion Sims. He is considered the father of gynecology. He did one of those short-term medical school courses <laughs> and, mm. went and became a doctor, and he immediately killed his first two patients. And so he decided to move to Alabama um, and start over <laughs> because without that hanging over his head. Um, and he, start, he was exclusively um, a doctor for enslaved women um, in, in a rural area. So a lot of... A lot of um, slave masters would come and bring their slaves to him because they weren't able to work because they were in pain or, you know, they weren't able to have more children. And that's the only thing that a slave was good for to a master is to work and be productive or to provide children that can work and also be productive. So, yeah. Um, so he conducted surgical experiments on enslaved black women without anesthesia and anesthesia was available at this time. Oh, great. Cool. So he pioneered a procedure. So he he is the one who um, invented the speculum, which uh, women, if mm. you're familiar, that's the <laughs> thing that they put in your vagina when you're doing a pelvic exam. It holds it open so you can see inside. Otherwise, you can't see anything. Um, men, now you know what it is. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so he developed a procedure for um, vesicovaginal fistula, which I'm not going to go into, into because it's, pretty graphic but basically it's a complication it's a very painful complication that results from childbirth and you can look it up if you'd like <laughs> <laughs> but um basically because he hadn't invented the speculum yet he had no way of performing surgery on this so he basically had the women like go on all fours and like push their head down to the floor and then he could like see inside them to like perform this procedure so it was, it's not only like not you know, no anesthesia, like, you know, all kinds of, you know, other things <laughs> that are involved, but it's like kind of humiliating <laughs> as well. Mm -hmm. Not kind of, it is a humiliating. Yeah. Um, so he, he perfected this experiment or this procedure. Um, he basically, I mean, he performed more surgeries on more women, but he performed 30 surgeries on one woman in particular. And this took four years. <sighs> and he finally perfect, perfected this procedure all without oh anesthesia. God. And then after that, he felt like it was, he was okay to treat white women now. So he started treating white women with anesthesia, of course. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Um, and there's a lot of, I mean, this is talked a lot uh, in the gynecological world. That's where I, I work in women's health. I hate that it's called women's health. Vaginal health is what it should be called. Um, mm -hmm. Or reproductive health. But um, <sighs> He's talked a lot about because he's kind of the like stain on gynecology. Mm. He's considered the founder of it because a lot of people just didn't, a lot of men only, usually only men were doctors and most of them didn't want to practice on women. First of all, they did, <laughs> most likely did not learn how to practice on women. A lot of the scientific material, if they were even in science-based medicine, was not pertaining to women. <laughs> um and so to be a black woman who there's all this prejudice towards this, this racist ideas about like the differences in their bodies and the fact that they're essentially property is like, this is the formula that comes out of that. So um, he claimed, because this is a really painful um, uh, condition, he claimed that these women were like clamoring to be treated by him. Like they wanted mm. his treatment so badly and they consented to these surgeries and experiments. And I think we need to talk about how slaves cannot consent because there is mm -hmm. a power dynamic there and they have no, like, like they're consenting. Yeah. It's painful, 
<laughs> but they're, the reason that they're being treated at all is because their master wants them for some economic value. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no consent there. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. So there's one... There's one instance, horrific. Um, he actually had a, he ended up moving back to New York and that's when he started treating white women for various gynecological issues. But um, there's a statue for him in honoring him and they finally tore it down like a couple years ago because it was, oh, good. yeah, good. It have been done a long time ago. But anyway, it was like 2018 or 2019, I think that was, t- that was torn down. I honestly um, feel like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I'm, I'm done with him. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I honestly feel like I honestly feel like we could do an entire episode on like gynecology uh, and and pertaining to black women, because I mean, there is a long, 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 long history of black women being sterilized without their consent. Mm -hmm. Um, And And, like prenatal and postnatal health. Yeah. um, It's they're more like, black women are more likely to be ignored when they're talk. like, I mean, this is in general in terms of medical, um, they're more likely to be ignored when expressing pain. Yeah. And that probably goes back to, um, to this. that, <laughs> yep. That the, <laughs> the bullshit idea that black folks have a higher tolerance for pain. Um, and so a lot of black mothers tend to die post childbirth for no good reason, because they weren't listened to. Um, by their nurses and their doctors. Yeah. Um, Serena Williams almost died because she has a a clotting condition and she couldn't be on her clotting meds during childbirth, obviously, because she would bleed Mm -hmm. out. And she was having symptoms of a clot in her lung and no one was listening to her. And she finally, I mean, she's a wealthy, famous, you know, woman with power, but in the medical industry she's still a black woman and she could have died very easily um i don't remember the full story i think she ended up getting a nurse to finally listen to her and you know they've treated her and she told them how to treat her because she's like i know this is what i have and this is what i need Um, right yeah like it's it's terrible the sterilization thing too whoo Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, used to I remember. Mm. Oh no! <laughs> mm. They were shoving IUDs in women right after childbirth, like not really. Supposed to oh yeah, that was in real a Catholic hard. hospital. Mm-hmm. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm-hmm. You, you're surprising, um, right? But also. Like Catholicism is based in white supremacy. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my God. I remember reading, this was many moons ago. um, Like somebody had posted a thread talking about eugenics and the black community and stuff like that, in particular for black women and childbirth and gynecology and stuff like that. And they were talking, I believe the person was talking about their grandmother. Um, and she had just had her fifth baby. And the gynecologist, who was a male, uh, after she had delivered the kid and was coming in for, you know, an exam and stuff like that, was like, that's it. No more. And, like, that's basically what he said. Like, we're done now. And then sterilized her without her permission or consent. Um, so, I mean, that's common practice yep 
And there's That's just horrifying. this idea, the whole, like, it, like I said, everything ties together because it's the whole, like, welfare queen stereotype. Yeah. Ties into that, which is, it's not a thing. <laughs> right. Right. Um but that's, you know, doctors are like, oh, we don't want those black women reproducing anymore. Like, we got to get them on birth control. Like, we got to sterilize them, you know, because they just are going to use, you know, take the money and not do anything. and just have more and more kids and get more money. And it's like, right. dude, you're a fucking doctor. Like, <laughs> really? But yeah, it's, yeah, it's horrible. Um, we really could do a whole episode on vaginal and reproductive health. It's... Should- should tell my friend Anna Marie to come on for that then. <laughs> yeah. She's uh she's in med school to be an OB oh, GYN. Really? But she's all well, she's taking a break from med school. She's taking a two year break from med school to get her law degree. Oh, okay. Wow. This bitch is an overachiever. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway. the second um I'm only gonna talk about three historical ish events just because there's so many. Like I said, like we you know, are already to bring all already be oh my God, already able to bring things up like from one person being mm-hmm. a ra- doing a racism <laughs> history. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's one dude. <laughs> like so the second thing I'll talk about is the Tuskegee. So this is the title of the paper. The Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the African American. This was done from 1932 to 1972 by the U.S. Public Health Service. This wasn't some public or private company just like fucking around. Like this wasn't just some random rogue scientist or doctor being like, hey, let's, you know, let's see what happens. (laughs) Like this is the United States Public Health Service. Mm -hmm. And penicillin was the standard of cure for syphilis in the 40s. So about, I think it was like late 40s. So about like maybe 15 years after the study started, they could have started treating these these patients with syphilis. And they chose not to because the researchers wanted to see the long-term effects of syphilis on the body. Mm -hmm. So basically what happens in a clinical trial for something that's terminal, like cancer, for example, um, or maybe like heart disease, something that can cause death, you know, more, you know, mortality. Um, because it looks bad to have your patients die during your clinical trial. <laughs> like that counts against you. <laughs> um, you basically, you have interventions. So if your patient is like on placebo, for example, if it's a trial between like the drug or whatever treatment, like for example, if it's a trial between penicillin and placebo for syphilis, Mm -hmm. if you have a patient that's on placebo that starts to deteriorate at a rate that's like, oh shit, they're going to die. You give them intervention. You give them the cure, the known cure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You do that so you can save the patient. In this case, they did not administer any intervention, any treatment as symptoms got worse. Men went blind. They had mental deterioration. Um, they had skin issues. Like syphilis is known for making people kind of nuts. <laughs> like it, it, has mm. brain, it causes brain damage. Mm. Um, so yeah. And like, I think it was like the 300 total men were in this. Maybe I can't remember the details. I read the paper earlier. And now I completely forgot because I didn't write <laughs> all the details down. But like a good chunk of people died and a good chunk of people had lifelong effects of this because they never got treated. Um, 
that was like one of the first ethical because like obviously you know when you're in psych you learn a lot about ethical issues even though people don't fucking pay attention to them um this is like one of the first ethical things like major ethical issues that we talked about um and it was the first time I heard of it. And that was when, what, my sophomore year of college. So we keep these things hush, hush. Yeah. I think Bill Clinton came out and, like, publicly apologized on behalf yes. of the government for what happened. But I don't Did know. Did they get reparations? Ever, ever reparations yeah. or anything. I, I, honestly, I didn't follow up because it's so horrific. I was just like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was just thinking of 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 other like hospital thingies. I remember reading something. I can't remember. I'll have to find the book. Um, I didn't read the book, but I've read about the book, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> it was, oh, 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 oh. it was uh, the protest psychosis, how schizophrenia became a black disease. Um, right. And it was about in the sixties, a hospital in Michigan, um, was uh, they had a high population of of black folks in their hospital with the diagnosis of schizophrenia um, because of the way the DSM two so that's a long ass time ago because we are on the five now um, talked about the symptoms of schizophrenia um, like hostility and aggression and so basically these folks were hospitalized because of their civil rights ideas um and diagnosed with schizophrenia and therefore treated uh as if they had schizophrenia with with anti-psycho or antipsychotic drugs and stuff like that because they were like shut the fuck up i have rights and they were like huh you have schizophrenia Black people having rights is such a delusion mm-hmm. that you are just mentally ill if you believe that. Like, mm-hmm. God. Let me tell you, too. I'm on an antipsychotic for sleep. That shit knocks you out. Like, oh, yeah. you just are incapacitated. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. if you don't have schizophrenia, which I do not. <laughs> right. Like, if you don't have psychotic symptoms, it it's like a tranquilizer. Basically. Yeah. So, you know. Oh, yeah, we we could totally go into the history of psychology and psychiatry. Mm-hmm. And racism. Like, I didn't even touch on that stuff. I just made I focused on non mental health stuff. Um, whew. <laughs> <laughs> so the third person I will talk about is Henrietta Lacks. And I'm sure at this point you're familiar with her. There was like a, I think Oprah made a movie based on the book that uh, um, yeah. Glute wrote. Um, so this is a, a woman, young woman. Um, this was in the 1950s. Um, she came to Johns Hopkins because she was having pelvic pain and she was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And so they did a biopsy of her cancer cells and, uh, the, the, the scientists grew, you know, they have to grow a culture of cells. Basically what that means is they put the cells like on a in a petri dish that has that's either filled with a broth of nutrients that helps them reproduce and like stay alive, and then you could keep them in an incubator that like keeps them like at body temperature and there's oxygen and um, CO two and stuff like that. Um, um, and her cells for some reason 
like replicated continued replicating like they never died all the other cancer cells and biopsies that they took of other patients died like right away because they didn't know how to maintain cell lines Mm -hmm. i'll explain what a cell line is in a minute um so her cancer cells led to the it's called a hela cell line h-e-l-a capital h lowercase e uppercase l lowercase a and it is that cell line is still used today and it is used widely i worked on a cell line the HeLa cell line. Oh, really? <laughs> From the HeLa cell line. Yes. Yeah. Um, when I was an undergrad, that was 2010. That's when I was working on those cells. Yeah. And it's, it's used to study all kinds of things, but I'll, I'll list off a few things that it has done for medical innovation. It helped develop a polio vaccine. And the polio vaccine, if you're not familiar, has essentially eradicated polio worldwide. Polio is not a disease that we worry about anymore. And eradication happens when you get enough people vaccinated and immune to the disease that the even if someone else has polio, it doesn't spread to anybody else. It just dies with that person. And so then there's nowhere else for the disease to go. <laughs> so it just mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and that's where we're at. So the HeLa cell line is responsible for that. It was, it was, it was the the it, it it allowed for that to happen and it's 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 been used for other viral um experiments as well and studies as well um so there's a german scientist that won a nobel prize because he connected the hpv so human papilloma virus which um we all know causes cervical cancer at this point that's why everybody gets mm-hmm. pap smears every couple of year everybody people with vaginas and cervices <laughs> get pap smears um, to check for cervical cancer, he connected that, that it was caused by a virus because that's very, that was new at the time that it was discovered. A virus causes cancer. That's kind of terrifying. <laughs> like you right, could get, right. you know, you could get the flu and it would cause cancer. Like that's what the, that's what this kind of felt like to a lot of people. Um, so mm-hmm. that was amazing. He won a Nobel prize for that. He used the HeLa cell lines for his experiments. And this led to the development of Gardasil, which is the vaccine for HPV. And the, Efficacy of Gardasil has reduced, like the widespread use of Gardasil has reduced the the instances of cervical cancer by like 80% in the US population. It's insane. Yeah. It works really well. (laughs) Um, And they've opened it up because it was only up to, I think 26 was like the maximum age that you could get it. It wasn't indicated for anyone older than that. They've opened it up since because it works so well so that anybody can get it Mm -hmm. now because it's so valuable. Um. And it's also been, the HeLa cell line has also been used um, in studies related to cancers that involve estrogen receptors. So most, some, I think it's like a third of breast cancers are related to to, uh, estrogen. So, you know, that's why like, maybe our listeners are are too young for this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's always a warning when you take birth control or you take some type of hormone replacement therapy. Um, involving estrogen, if you have a history of breast, ovarian, or colon cancer in your family, you have to really be careful and you have to limit how long you take that because you could get breast cancer based on your genetics and it could be, um, it could get, it could get worse or it could actually proliferate into cancer because of the excess of estrogen in your system. So, well, thank God. I don't think any of those run in my family because that was certainly not communicated to me when I was put on birth control. 
Um, well, usually they ask, like your OBGYN will ask you for a family history. If you have any history of cancer, that's in usually like your intake, well, what you would call an intake form, but like your, you know, the I form you fill out. When you well, first become I a guess may- maybe I did do that. I don't remember, but yeah, but I mean, either way, I would appreciate that being communicated. I mean, it's good to know, like my stepmom got breast cancer because she was on her hormone replacement therapy, but she was adopted. So she doesn't know her family history. Right. <laughs> like, right. and her parents. You know, she, I don't know. She lives in a different country, a completely different environment than this, too. So it's, yeah. Right. But my mom died of breast cancer. And so I'm, I, that's always been a concern for me. Like my stupid mm-hmm. doctors have been trying to get me to get an IUD for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> it hurt. I like my estrogen. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have enough. That's my problem. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> but yeah. PCOS. So. Yay. Or it's just all over the place. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah. If it doesn't pertain to you, like, they probably won't educate you on it because it'll just scare you. <laughs> no, but, like, I want to know want that kind of shit. <laughs> I would like to know. Well, I will tell you all you need to know about Thank vaginal you. and cervical and breast health. Let me tell well, you. Well, that's why I always, like, text you and I'm like, hey, Jess, I think my vagina's doing something weird. <laughs> <laughs> is this drug the same as this drug? <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because they fucking switched my birth control, uh, the whatever it is, brand again. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck? I know. Insurance does that a lot. I fucking hate it. Mine got but, switched you know, too. And then they tried to charge me more than they charged me for the brand. Oh, fuck that. The brand was $0 and the generic was 25 And I was like, why am oh, I being no. charged $25? No, no, no. But... You know, it's okay. I text you if, like, my vagina's doing weird stuff. You text me if your brain is doing weird stuff. It's a great, so, it's a great together, exchange of expertise. Yeah. Together we are a power couple. Yeah, we are a brain and a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and really, what else do you need? <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> that's our next generation. <laughs> She she ended up dying of her cancer. She died at age 31. I think it was like 1951 or 1952. And her cell line still lives on. I did research with her cell line. And basically what a cell line is, so all cell lines come, most all cell lines, human cell lines come from cancer cells. And it's because cancer is very simply, the most simple definition, definition of it is a cell that doesn't have a stop to when it stops replicating. Um, most cells in your body, almost all your cells get to a point, I'll use skin cells as an example, your skin, your skin cells get to a point where they are very much alive. They are taking in nutrients. They are putting out proteins or whatever they need to do. They are, you know, doing what they need to do as skin and then they die. And your cell genetics have a, 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 a programmed cell death. Um, and it knows when to die. <laughs> with your genetics. It knows it's time to die and it dies. And then it gets replaced by another cell and it's fine. And there's no excess cells. Like we're all balanced out here. What happens when you have cancer is those signals to die don't work. And so the cells keep replicating and it turns into a tumor. And that tumor can break off and go into your bloodstream and spread to other areas of your body. And that's when it gets really bad. And so like, that's why it's really complicated trying to find cures um, or vaccines for cancer because it's very cell specific. It's like it has to the, the the treatment has to be targeted towards the exact 
cell tissue that it came from. So if it came from your kidney, it has to be targeted towards the specific kidney cell that that originated from in order to eradicate it. And same thing with like breast tissue or um, your GI tract or your throat or whatever you get cancer, wherever you get cancer. And then it's also your own tissue. <laughs> so you have mm-hmm. to figure out a way to kill this tumor without killing your entire the entire system, your body, your entire body. So that's why it's really complicated to figure out ways to treat and cure cancer. Because it's not a one, it's not like there's one thing. Like there's multiple points to it. So basically a cell line is a cancer cell that they've able to, they've kind of genetically modified to have less in common with that original cell, but it still proliferates. It still divides and it will divide forever. As long as you maintain that cell line and you basically how you maintain a cell line is you have the the Petri dish with the broth and the cells are growing. And once the cells reach the perimeter of the Petri dish, you use different solutions to basically scrape the cells off the Petri dish and they're like in suspension. So they're like, you know, little cells floating around in the broth. And then you just divide it into new Petri dishes and you grow them again. And you just do that over mm. and over and over. I used to have to do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's very annoying. <laughs> Um, but they're, they, and you can, you know, do all kinds of experiments on these cells. You can extract their DNA. You can like give them drugs and see what it does to them and all, you know, all kinds of things. So they're really important for our scientific knowledge and drug, um, drug related research. Um, but so (laughs) these cell lines are extensively studied and used for research and neither she nor her family has ever been compensated for that contribution. And they didn't even credit her, Henrietta Lacks, as being the origin of the cell line until the 70s. They were considered Helen Lane cells. Oh. <laughs> they just, like, made up a name. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Henrietta Lacks, heaven forbid we credit it to a black woman. Right. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And imagine if this would have been, like, a white woman. Mm-mm. She would have been generated money. They would probably have like a patent on all of the the cell lines that came from Gila Mm -hmm. (laughs) and be making bank. (laughs) But they were never even given that opportunity to do that. Yep. So that's three cases of medical racism in the relatively recent, you know, just before World War Two. And uh, slavery era. Mm-hmm. That's not um, it. That's just the starting point, like I said. Yeah. Um, I looked up uh, if there were reparations to those who were in the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Um, from what I can tell via the Wikipedia article, no. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Bill Clinton formally apologized and held a ceremony at the White House for tes- for surviving Tuskegee study participants. Uh, he said, "What can what was done cannot be undone, but we can end the silence. We can stop turning our heads away. We can look at you in the eye and finally say, on behalf of the American people, what the United States government did was shameful, and I am sorry." To our African-American citizens, I am sorry that your federal government orchestrated a study so clearly racist. Um, Let's see. The presidential apology led to progress in addressing the second goal of the Legacy Committee. So there was a um, uh, Legacy Committee committee 
created uh, specifically for this to like, they had two goals, get them to public, publicly apologize. And then um, wanting the committee and relevant uh, federal agencies to develop a strategy to um, fix the damages basically. And so the federal government contributed to establishing the national center for bioethics and research and healthcare at Tuskegee which opened in 1999 to explore issues that underlie research and medical care of African-Americans and other underserved people. That didn't start till 1999. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a moral conscience to like, not like treat black people worse in research till 1999. Like an official arm of the government. (laughs) I mean, it's 2020 and I'm not not much. I'm just saying it's fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Yep, so. And I mean, like, you think about, like, all of these cases and the different types of racism that they imply. Like, James Marion Sims, like, the fact that he just, like, thought Black people were so different from white people and, like, biologically different than he thought being able to perform experimental surgery on them without anesthesia was fine, and they're fine. And... Mm -hmm. He thought that they were able to give consent. And like to perform an experimental surgery doesn't mean it's going to work. So it's not like you're going to get the surgery and then you're going to feel better after you heal. Sometimes it might not work. (laughs) So you might still Mm -hmm. be in pain and need to go through another surgery. So it's like he's basically like dicking around like, hmm, let's figure out what works with human beings. Like, what the fuck? And the Tuskegee thing is like a very similar thing, but it's like kind of at an even worse level because it was institutionalized. It was like done by mm-hmm. the US government. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't acknowledged till 1999. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. And none of the participants, at least to my understanding from the brief research I did, received like individual reparations yeah. for what happened. Um, and the last quote unquote participant, I don't even want to call them participants because being a participant implies that you had informed consent, which they did not have. This was the study, quote unquote study, that led to you have to have informed consent in every study, which that still doesn't happen. Let's be real. Yeah. Um, but the last quote unquote participant died in 2004 um, and no reparations were given. They still have families. It's still possible. Yep. Yep. Like, do the right thing. And then, so, like, you, and then you think about, well, also with the Tuskegee experiments, they had a cure. Yep. And they still were like, "Mm, no, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens Mm -hmm. with these guinea pigs, these people. Yep. And then with (sighs) Henrietta Lack, it's like, you know, there was no cure available to her. They didn't have like a cancer, a, a way to cure her cancer at the time. So it's like, it doesn't deal with, with that, but it's, they're using something that came from her body mm-hmm. to do all of this research globally. Mm-hmm. And no one even thought to give her credit until the seventies or give reparations or, I mean, this is like not institutional. It's, you know, I guess some of it is, but like she could be compensated for fucking Gardasil. Right. <laughs> right. 
Merck could give her money for the creation of Gardasil because it was because of her cells that we even discovered that HPV led to cancer, to cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. And how many lives are being saved because of her? And she still died and had no right. idea that she was even helping. And her family had no idea that she was even helping till the 70s until this, right. this white lady journalist started investigating. <laughs> yeah. So that is a book, by the way. I put it. I have a, a section for further reading, and it's "The Immortal mm -hmm. Life of Relax" by Rebecca Sklute, and she is a white woman. I will give a disclaimer, but you know, good for her. More white journalists should do shit like this. <laughs> Look into stuff like that, because I'm sure there are cases that we are unaware of at this point because they just been buried, and it's disgusting. I uh. It's not like this is in the past. <laughs> if you want to like catch up like briefly on stuff, um, I know like Wikipedia isn't always the best source, but like I can spend hours on it. Um, <laughs> the eugenics in the United States article um, has a lot. And I was just kind of like skimming through it. Um, talking about eugenics during the civil rights era, civil rights era. Um, but, uh, there was a thing that was talking about um, the 50s and 60s were the height of sterilization abuse uh, in black women, um, typically in the South. Uh, so it was either the sterilization of poor unwed black mothers and, quote unquote, Mississippi appendectomies. And so what happened with those women would go to the hospital to give birth or for some other medical treatment and then were uh, uh, incapable of having more children after leaving the hospital due to receiving a hysterectomy that they did not know on that they didn't know they were getting. So they're like, we're taking out your appendix and then they take out your uterus. That's nuts. Mm hmm. Looking further down on this Wikipedia article page, there's a section called Influence on Nazi Germany. So we uh, were the influence mm -hmm. on Nazi Germany in terms of eugenics. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because California eugenicists began producing literature promoting eugenics and sterilization and sent it overseas to German, to German scientists and medical professionals. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. um, we like to talk about how we beat the Nazis when we really gave them ammunition. <laughs> yeah. And California likes to pretend it's so liberal mm -hmm. and is like so perfect. And it's like, oh, we believe in everything. Rights for everybody. But it's like, mm. do you? You had a you had a sterilization law. Yep. <laughs> there were I think it I think it was like. Was it 70 to like 90% of the sterilizations were happening in California, like pre-World oh, War II? Yeah. Cool. It was an insane amount because there were lots of natives in mm. California. And Asians and Mexicans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quote, undesirables. Right. Yeah. Um, it was like one of those, I think, um, I remember talking to a doctor about this a long time ago. Uh, basically, if a woman based, came in for a C-section, they sterilized her. If she was of a certain race. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about a couple of health disparities really quick because they do relate to like women and gyne gynecology and, and um, obstetrics really quick. There's multiple other health disparities that we'll talk about later, but um, health disparities are usually related to education and income. 
unless you're a black person, then it just then if you're black, you just have a health disparity, no matter your income or <laughs> education level. If you have a PhD, if you're Serena Williams, doesn't matter. You're black, so you're going to have a health disparity. So an example of this is the mortality rate for babies born to black mothers if they have a master's or doctorate degree and some kind of advanced degree um it's worse for for them compared to babies born to white mothers with less than an eighth grade education mm. <laughs> Great. um and black women are less likely to have breast cancer yet are 40 percent more likely to die from it because of medical racism a black woman is 70 more 70 percent oh my god 71 percent more likely to die from cervical cancer than a white woman which if you think about it is fucking maddening because of henrietta lacks mm -hmm. <laughs> the woman who allowed for cervical cancer research is black <laughs> and then a black this is where it really gets crazy a black woman is 243 percent more likely to die from pregnancy or childbirth related causes than a white woman regardless of education or income. 243%. You know what that is? That is systemic racism, racism saying, we don't want you reproducing. And that's fucking disgusting. So yeah, I, um, we're going to talk about next episode, I think the other health disparities that are more related to chronic mm -hmm. um, effects on the body. And then also access to healthcare. And who oh, are we going to talk about Medicaid? And felons. <laughs> I do want to say one thing because it's news as of today. New news. Um, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled in favor of employers being able to deny birth control coverage due to religious or moral objection. And they yep. do not have to report it to their employees. So your birth control coverage could just get cut off and you won't even know it. Neat. That is today. Wednesday, cool. July 8th, 2020. Nine, I bet you $100 mine will be cut off. Ooh. Because we are a uh, Christian organization. And also, we're run by a bunch of straight white men, straight white cis men, uh, who didn't even know that we don't have maternity leave. Mm. My coworker had written, had written in, like, hey, we don't have maternity leave. Like, what are your plans to address that? And they were like, we were under the impression that we have a very liberal maternity leave policy. And she's like, Why FMLA isn't that. Um, she's like, <laughs> FMLA is not maternity leave. That is not maternity leave. And they were like, oh, well, we didn't know that. So something tells me I'm going to have to start paying for my birth control again. <laughs> well, I am very, for now, I should be okay. Because uh, I'm still 25, which means that I'm still under my parents' insurance. And the CEO of the company that my dad works for is my dad. So I'll fucking kill him if he makes that decision. <laughs> I'll be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, yeah, that's good. I'll make him pay for it. Then. <laughs> yeah. If you're not, if you're not going to tell them to pay for it, you can pay for it. <laughs> yep. 
Fuck you, Dad. <laughs> it's just fascinating that this gets ruled during a time like this. When the fucking pandemic, right? Let's take away people's birth control during a pandemic. Great idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I while we're on this conversation, I just want to briefly like talk about like somebody had posted, um, believe it was a it was a doctor, a female doctor, um, who had posted like, you know, like there are other reasons to take birth control outside of preventing pregnancy and like yes i am i am a classic example of i am i didn't start birth control until last year a little over a year ago um a lot of that i wanted to be on birth control for longer but you know i grew up in a catholic household so (laughs) um that's a whole other episode um which we will have point because yes. star wars <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just curious kate sador has has agreed to come on and talk about Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> um but i was put on it for the purpose that i have pcos polycystic ovarian syndrome which is like one of the leading causes of infertility in people with vaginas and um I am a person who eventually would like to have children. So I was like, heck yes, please make sure. Cause apparently this is effective in making sure you can eventually have children down the line because it helps balance your hormones. And so I was like, heck yes, put me on that. I eventually want a child. Um, and as well as I was getting horrible mood swings when I was on my period pre birth control. Um, and something that my therapist and I noticed because like I had been medicated, I'd been on psychotropic meds for my bipolar disorder, but there was always like one, that one week, one or two weeks when I was either super fucking depressed or I'd get hypomanic or manic. Um, Fascinating. And it coincided with when I got my period. Well, my period has never been regular um, until I got on birth control. So from, 11 years old to 23, 24 years old, um, my period had never been regular day in my life. So I'd go months without it. Um, And so imagine that (laughs) never knowing (laughs) when you're going to get hit with your period and also a manic episode at the same time. So that was part of the reason I went on birth control and like, yes, let's acknowledge that, that that's a thing that, that, People with vaginas go on birth control for other reasons unrelated to sex, but also people with vaginas go on birth control because they like to have sex and they don't want to get pregnant. They want a choice. I am a person who wants a child, but not right fucking now. Yeah. Also, I like my birth control. (laughs) I would like to point out that a lot of women that get abortions already have children. Yep. Yep. It's not about, you know... It's not about youth going out <laughs> making bad decisions. Youth. <laughs> it's about family planning and being financially responsible and feeling like they can give enough to their child at the time, financially and emotionally. Right. Be- that needs to be a choice, whether that's through birth control, abortion, whatever. Abortion mm-hmm. is not a family planning measure, but it is something that we need to have. <laughs> like. Um, you will see an increase in abortions if you see a decrease in access to birth control. Yep. Um, and unsafe is, abortions. Statistical fact, by the way. Yep. Also, abstinence training and abstinence education <laughs> is a direct indicator of unplanned pregnancies. 
in women. Yep. There has been research done on that. I, I read the research done on that when I was in a reproductive biology class in my upper division undergrad classes. Yep. That was the same professor that spewed egg whites at us and said it was cervical mucus, if you were there for that episode. <laughs> I think that was a pretty- <laughs> <laughs> We love hilarious. that professor. <laughs> she was great. I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy, but she's great. Um, I remember in seventh grade when we did we had the the sex unit the first time we ever had the sex unit in health class <laughs> um and we had to do this whole book uh and at the end of the book you had to sign that you agreed to be abstinent until marriage yep i had the same thing i went to yep. a christian but, christian school <laughs> i went to a public school oh <laughs> that was during the bush era obviously <laughs> Yes, Yes, because (laughs) I was like, wait, was it? Because, yeah, if I was, yeah, Obama didn't become president until I was in eighth grade. So. Um, Enjoy feeling old. I don't know why have been like, I miss George Bush. Like, he would never do this. Ew. Over the education system and reproductive health. So bad. So bad. So fuck. To mention all the other things he fucked over. Millions of people. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Directly responsible for millions of deaths worldwide. Yep. So fuck George Bush. Anyway, I was also, I have been on birth control since I was 14 years old because I most likely have endometriosis that cool. uh, is, it has been controlled since I was 14 because I've never not been on hormones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we could do a whole other episode one time about how like the medical field knows nothing about endometrio- endometriosis or PCOS or vaginismus, or all that stuff. (laughs) I am about to work for another women's health company, and there is so little research dedicated Mm -hmm. to reproductive and vaginal and uterine and breast health. Yep. Because maybe this is TMI. I got an IUD put in not too long ago, and Mm -hmm. my OBGYN called the procedure barbaric. Yeah. (laughs) because <laughs> we get no anesthesia um no pain meds for post-procedure and we're just expected to like go back to work and drive home <laughs> and it is probably the most painful thing i've ever experienced this is the second time i've had to do it and it's the most painful thing i've ever experienced that's cool the, the feeling that I have to do this incredibly painful thing because I will lose my insurance. Yeah, that's the reason I had to do it is because I was going right. to lose my insurance. So I had I was like, I need birth control. I'm not right. trying to have a baby. <laughs> Abortions because are expensive. Like, <laughs> right. Well, and like, and then, you know, obviously you were going to get a new job at some point or another. But, but even know. then, your insurance doesn't kick in for 30 days. Yeah. And also, I didn't know when that was going to happen because there's a fucking right. pandemic. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah, bar- a, 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 a health practitioner called a procedure barbaric and they yep. still have to perform it because it's standard long term birth control. It is the standard. <laughs> Who I was talking to, but somebody had asked, like, well, how did you get diagnosed with PCOS? And I'm like, it's a guessing game, honestly. Of other things. Same with this. Yeah, it's like she asked me a bunch of questions in terms of like, do you get cysts on your ovaries? You don't have to get cysts on your ovaries to have PCOS, by the way. So it's already wrongly named. (laughs) 
because you hear polycystic ovarian syndrome and you're like, oh, that means you have to get cysts on your ovaries all the time. Not true. You don't have to have cysts on your ovaries to get PCOS. Um, but I had gotten some back when I was in high school and like other questions, she's like irregular period, long periods. Cause even if I went like months without getting a period, then I would get one for like two weeks. Um, excessive dark hair growth um, on the face and other places like that and stuff like that. And then we did a blood draw and we found I had an excess of testosterone. Um, and that was, that was, she was like, yep, well, sure. That sounds about right. Because there's no like formal diagnostic test for any of this. It's guess, guess and check. And same, so same for endometriosis. The only way you can diagnose it is if you do surgery abdominal yep. surgery <laughs> yep so imagine all of that like you know the hoops that we had to jump through of like trying to figure out our our uh, reproductive diagnoses imagine being a black woman yeah and being like going to a gynecologist and explaining the same symptoms that i was going through and they'd be like oh well that sucks your pain's probably not that bad you're black you yeah your period can't be that bad you're just being emotional. You're just angry. Like I had, angry like I had, right? Like I had an exper- experience when I was younger, um, going to immediate care because I was on my period, but I was also vomiting a lot, and I don't usually vomit when I'm on my period. Um, and it was a I'm male doctor. <laughs> what? Like that's like fucking ridiculous that you even have to say that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, some people do like the pain. Makes them vomit. That's sad. But the pain, oh, the pain no. that makes them vomit, like, that's not normal. No. <laughs> There's something oh, no. Medical issue. Like, it's like, that. it's like that thing where it's like, hey, where's your pain level at? And it's like, oh, you know, like a normal two or three. And it's like the normal level is zero. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. That, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, but I was vomiting. Uh and while also on my period and I went to the immediate care because I hate my pediatrician or I hated my pediatrician. I think I talked about that before on the pod uh, as to why and um, was a male doctor. And he's just like, because they always ask when you go in, when was the date of your last period? And I was like, well, I'm on it now. And he's like, well, then don't you think this is probably because of your period? And I was like, I don't usually vomit on my period. And he's like, well, then maybe it's just a bad one. And I cried the whole way home because I was like, mom, there is something wrong. Turns out I had the flu. <laughs> Which I mean, like, you know, the doctor can't really like prescribe anything or anything like that. But you could still been like, oh, you have the flu. These are flu right. symptoms. Not Don't go to school. Hysteria or whatever yep. the you know, 19th century diagnosis would have been. <laughs> yep. So... I remember I was taking like a, I can't remember. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it just, you know, reminded me of like men and, and women's health. <laughs> I, I took a sexuality class when I was at community college, like before I transferred to university. And I vaguely remember talking about how the vibrator was invented because it was a, a treatment for hysteria. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, their their husbands would take them to the doctor and be like, my wife is being (laughs) crazy. Please treat her. And they would just apply a vibrator and she'd be fine. (laughs) 
Can treat it with many orgasms. <laughs> yeah. Because orgasm is a, a source of stress relief. They were stressed <laughs> because patriarchy. <laughs> because they weren't having orgasms with their husbands. Because husbands back then, well, I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't No, alive. even now. <laughs> Not saying from personal experience. <laughs> no, because now I'm thinking so I don't know if you saw this. Oh my god, now we're just kind of going off the rails, but <laughs> this is still funny. I don't know if you saw this thread because I quote tweeted it onto um, my private account. It was this guy made a whole ass thread about how to eat pussy. That was what it was called. How to eat pussy. I saw Tracy being like, um, we need to talk about this. <laughs> let me let me read you the direct thing that oh I had to close my let's move to Canada plans. Um, <laughs> let me find that. Canada, I'm not going to be able to visit you because the, no one wants the Americans. Okay, well, the, the, the second option is that we're going to move to Wisconsin. So that's you have that. not a good idea either. Wisconsin's terrible. <laughs> they have terrible politics. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> it's true. Okay, so I'm Jess will move here with me. <laughs> anyway this guy created the how to eat pussy thread and number four the tip number four was make her comfortable a lot of women women haven't come before it goes on but you kind of just have to stop after that this man thinks that people with clits haven't come before because a man hasn't gone down on them how old so, is this man? I don't know. <laughs> I'm convinced he's never ate pussy in his life. Anyway, that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> oh, man, just stop. I know he's white, too. I just know it. <laughs> yeah, oh, 100%. And the sad thing is, like, the creepy thing is, too, is his app, like, his, his profile picture is of Aang. Oh, like no! I don't want to see a picture of Aang next to you telling me how to eat pussy. And like you know, this thread is for for cishet men because oh, yeah. women know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, kind of going back to what we were talking about with like birth control and doctors and pediatricians and stuff like that. I am convinced the only reason that I got put on birth control as young as I was is because I had a black female pediatrician, and I think she knew. I probably had endo because I would have periods mm. for like three weeks at a time, a week off, and then it would start again. And it was heavy. Yeah. Yep. It was painful. I was like 12. <laughs> and I was like severely anemic because of it. But I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that that was why. Now that I think about it, I feel like if I would have had a white doctor or a male pediatrician, they would have just been like, mm, you're fine. Whatever. It's normal. Mm. It's, you know, irregular periods are normal when you're young. <laughs> that's like deathly <laughs> like i couldn't function because yeah. i was anemic <laughs> yeah yeah you they you said they say that a lot like irregular periods are normal when you're young or like when you first start getting them and it's like okay but then where's that cutoff because like i was it's going into the doctor that's extremely irregular right like i started my period at 11 years old and i was like 16 and going into my doctor for like regular checkups and being like hey sometimes my period comes and it comes for like two weeks and then it doesn't come back for like three months and she's like oh well you know periods are irregular when you're young and i'm like i've been having my period since i was 11 like when does it 
when does it stabilize? It never did. (laughs) Because I have a shitty uterus. (laughs) I think I, I honestly, this is my medical opinion. Having not gone to med school, I have an EMT (laughs) license and that's the extent of my (laughs) medical education. (laughs) Green physiology, dude, it's fine. Anyway, um, my opinion is that once adolescent girls start their periods, they need to have some type of like adolescent gynecology versus a pediatrician. Because I I don't know what a peds rotation looks like in med school because I don't know. So many of my friends that have gone through med school, they just like didn't care about peds. And so they don't really think about it, but I don't know if they like talk about the complications around gynecological medicine in in adolescence. I'll have to ask my friend, Anna Marie. Yeah. What do you, what do you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff is learned in residency anyway. Like you just kind of get the basics in med school and like most of how you learn how to treat patients is in residency. But, um, I don't know any pediatricians like personally, I know like other types of doctors, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, no, but that's a fantastic point. Cause like typically for those who don't have to see a gynecologist, typically what they tell, uh, those of us who do is like you either have to start going to a gynecologist when you become sexually active or when you turn 21, which is really arbitrary or like 18 or something like that, which again, really arbitrary. A lot of issues that you could have like medically don't necessarily, aren't necessarily sexually related. Yep. You know what I mean? Like PCOS and endometriosis and menstruating are not related to sex at all. Like they happen regardless of whether you're sexually active or not. It's like getting chronic yeah. chronic yeast infections. Yeah. Be- bacterial vaginosis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that can happen regardless of sexual activity. That is highly influenced by sexual activity just because right. of the nature of what sex is. But And like I know like uh, UTIs are more like endo. Um, but still, I mean, like it's all in the same general area. So usually gynecologists have a general idea of what's going on with the UTI. But like... Yeah. I started having chronic UTIs when I was 17. Yeah. I had chronic UTIs when I was like 22 and not sexually active Yeah, <laughs> at the time. <laughs> well, see. It was related okay. to like pH. Yeah. Well, see, that was okay. So that was the thing is I was, but like this was also the pediatrician who when I went into for, because I, th- I talked to my pediatrician about it. Um, this is the one that I went into for anti-anxiety meds. She gave me an OCD screener when I did not have OCD um, and then asked me at least seven times if I was sure that I'm not pregnant. So it really bothers me that like the threshold for like what is deemed pediatric versus like adult medicine is like mm-hmm. an arbitrary age of like 18 because that's what the government oh. says is like the age of consent or whatever. Or, like, the age that we graduate high school and become adults and, like, can do all these things that are independent of our parents. But that's not necessarily accurate biologically. Most pediatricians will keep you until you're off your parents' insurance. Yeah. So I could still be going to see a pediatrician right now. And I'm 25 I years knew old. I patients that had type 1 diabetes that were 21 and still on with their pediatrician in college. 
And I mean, so, that's because they had a good relationship with their pediatrician and they really understood yeah, yeah, yeah. they didn't want to leave them because it's really hard to find an endocrinologist that like is agreeable because endos are fucking weird. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and, and they're expensive and pediatricians are considered like primary or preventative care. Yeah. So that's another uh, added issue to the medical, you know, healthcare system that we have. I mean, and no. Like imagine trying to be black and navigate all this shit. Right. I was just gonna say, and these are these are experiences from two non-black women. Yeah. Imagine if you're black. Yeah. It's eight hundred times worse. Oh, anything else we want to tack onto this episode? We will definitely be splitting splitting this one into two. So, like Jess said, next time we'll talk more about other health disparities for like chronic illness, um, and then we'll definitely talk about. Medicaid, which I will probably go off on because I work with Medicaid frequently um, on the mental health side. And then all sorts of other stuff. And we'll give further reading recs. But before we end this, is there anything else you want to add, Jess? This is a starting point. Like I said, yep. those three instances of medical racism and medical anti-blackness and just the stuff we were talking about with like women's health and vaginal and reproductive health. I'm sorry, I keep saying women's health because that's what I work in. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm um, working on trying to fix that. Um, I mean, you think about the disparities with you, a white woman trying to find care mm-hmm. in a gynecological setting. You're not even having children yet. No. Yeah. (laughs) That complicates things tenfold because it puts so much stress on the body. And if you're in a body that is already stressed because of systemic racism, how much worse is that? Pregnancy is extremely stressful on the body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Extremely. Um, I don't know why people treat pregnancy as something that's like normal and natural. Like, yeah, it is reproductive. Reproduction is normal and natural, but it severely damages. Yep. A, a vagina and a, a body with a vagina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, so, I'm fucking scared. I'm fucking scared because I won't be able to take my meds because they're contraindicated because we can't do research on mental health meds and pregnancy. Yeah. Because a fetus is more important than the person carrying it. So that'll be cool. Uh, we'll keep you updated on that one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um,. <laughs> That will be like six or seven years from now. Um, anyway, because I'm working on a, a master's in public health eventually. So yeah, that's right. Jess is studying for the GRE. Jess is not taking my advice and enrolling in a school that does not require a GRE. Dude, I can't. Like epidemiology requires a GRE for mm-hmm. the most part. You have to do math, like most programs that have it. Stupid. Also, I cannot afford to go to private school, <laughs> which most of the schools that don't require GRE are private. <laughs> was mine a private school? Yeah, it probably was. Okay, that's fair. Well, yeah, no, don't no. don't go to private school like I did because I have a six-figure student loan debt. So uh-huh. it's like $151,000 some odd dollars. I'm too old for that. And I would be taking a pay cut with whatever I decided to do after grad school. So yeah. You paying that off. So, and I want to go back and get my doctorate. Well, if you get a doctorate, if it is if it is in like psychiatry, psychology, it's a science, you don't have to pay for it. it you just have to work. You just have to teach. Nah, I want my doctorate in social work. Oh, you fucking stupid ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You bitch. <laughs> 
No, that's okay. I should be I should be able to test for my LCSW by the end of the year and I'll get a pay raise and I'll feel better. So anyway, now that Jess is done being mean to me. Um, like we said in the past two episodes we've done, um, like I said in the beginning, like the first one in the on the Black Lives Matter movement and uh as a whole, and then um black mental health and stuff like that like don't let us be the only resource you have um we very intentionally give resources as well but like don't let that be the end we are your racism 101 folks and also let's address this real quick don't fucking dm jess individually and being like can you teach me racism 101 like no don't do that if you want to do that shit, you DM me individually. And we did say we would answer questions if you sent them to the pod account. So don't fucking do that. Leave Jess alone. You can piss me off. I don't give a shit. I'm white. You can do that. Well, I don't mind if you ask me questions. If you're like, I don't understand, please. It, it, uh, what I didn't appreciate was this person DMing me, telling me, that it was okay to culturally appropriate Japanese culture as a white <laughs> woman because the elders, whoever the elders are, said it was fine. <laughs> That's what I didn't appreciate. The omnipotent elders. <laughs> it's fine if you want to ask questions. It's not fine to send me a YouTube video by some white YouTuber oh, saying, Christ. oh, I talked to some elders and they said it's fine that I'm like appropriating <laughs> and dressing and ceremonial like <laughs> Japanese <laughs> like dress. <laughs> Because I'm appreciating their culture. I'm like, mm, that's that's not okay. <laughs> also, I did a whole fucking article on cultural appropriation yep. in the film industry for swretmatters.com. Like, you already know how I feel about this if you follow me. <laughs> also, like, fuck you. Like, there is a very different experience of, of being Japanese and being Japanese-American. So shut what? the fuck up. Exactly. <laughs> I hate people. Anyway, you can direct your stupid questions to me because either I will answer them or I'll tell you to fuck off. That being said, <laughs> if you want to find me on Twitter for me to tell you to fuck off, I am at Abby M. Cecilia. Jess, where can they find you? Um, you can find me at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess. Uh, in the Jess. And um, while wow, the wine is hitting, uh, our Twitter is at LBTPod. You can email us questions or comments or actually, know what? Keep your concerns to yourself. I don't fucking care. Uh, <laughs> at lousybeautifultownpod at gmail.com. We have a Patreon. Um, and I think we're recording a Patreon episode. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because we haven't recorded a Patreon episode. Well, we did, and then it got lost. Um, Sorry. But it's okay. <laughs> um, join our Patreon. We have a fun Discord. I love our Discord. We have different little like chats, and one of them is called Pets of the Pod, where we all just post pictures of our pets. Um, we have stupid sticker emojis, um, three of which, two of which are of me for some reason, and none of them are of Jess, but you know, whatever. Um, and Though we did open this to non-patrons, um, this is a good thing to follow our Twitter because sometimes we will stream stuff on our Discord. And so last weekend we streamed uh, me playing Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator, and it was a fucking blast. 
Oh my God. And we're going to stream more because we're not yep. done. We only went on wait. <laughs> we went on one date and Jess is fucking in love with this game. <laughs> it's so, it's so It is so funny. Our daddy um, is like a communist, like yeah. nerd. He's a communist scabby. <laughs> like, His so name cute. is Fives. Looks- it's Fives. <laughs> it's Fives. It's Five Star War with our beautiful daughter, Amanda. Amanda um, Star War. Amanda Star Wars. So yes, we will let y'all know when we're streaming more of that. It's very fun and wholesome and just overall goofy. Um, and that's the kind of shit we need every once in a while in a fucking pandemic. So yeah. And we are going um, to stream Prince of Egypt and Mummy Returns <laughs> at some point. Yeah. It's <laughs> gonna find a time. We have a fucking theme going. <laughs> Dream Daddies and Mummy and Egypt. <laughs> Yes. Uh, oh God. Though I will warn y'all for the Prince of Egypt uh, stream, you cannot stop me from singing along. Oh, I'm gonna be singing too. Oh, thank when God. I was just gonna say I had a I had the I had the choir solo for that song when we sang it in eighth grade, so I'm just saying. You don't think it's that cool. Anyway, we're gonna end the episode now. <laughs> <Okay>. Goodbye. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs>Episode racism question mark? I don't know what to call these episodes. They're not Star Wars content. We should just start having them be regular episodes. Who cares? (laughs) Are you watching Korra illegally? This is the end of Lousy Beautiful Town. Go fuck off.